Welcome to the WGN Radio Theater, Program 475 in the series. It's June 27th, and we'll be here for five hours. And by we, I mean me and Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? How are you? How are you? So glad to be here. I am too. You know what? Eight classic radio shows on the agenda. And we'll start things off with a Western classic radio adventure of Have Gun, Will Travel. Then it's the Charlie McCarthy Show, The Man Called X, Casey Crime Photographer, Avalon Time, starring Red Skelton. Then it's Suspense, The Adventures of Ellery Queen, and Fibber McGee and Molly. Can you imagine, Lisa, all of those radio shows jam-packed like Fibber's Hall Closet until 3 o'clock in the morning? Well, you better get moving or nothing's going <laughs> to We're not going to get to anything. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll start things off right after this short break. Hour one of the WGN Radio Theater. In this hour, it's Have Gun, Will Travel, plus the first half of the Charlie McCarthy Show. I want to remind everyone listening that there are five classic radio shows waiting for you at our website, 100radioshows.com. That's our website, 100radioshows.com. When you go there, Put your email address in, and we'll send you via email five classic radio shows. Those shows are? We have Jack Benny, Fibber McGee and Molly, Suspense, Gunsmoke, and Richard Diamond, Private Detective. She has no notes in front of her or anything. She has that (laughs) that top of mind. Very, very good, Lisa. Yep, you'll get five free classic radio shows when you go to 100radioshows.com, and at that site... There are 700 additional classic radio shows that you can purchase. And if you do, make sure you use the promo code radio at checkout because you'll save 70% on your order. All right, 100radioshows.com. Time now for Have Gun, Will Travel, great Western adventure series. This actually began, Lisa, as a TV show in 1957. And I know they air these quite a bit on Antenna TV. And it transitioned to radio in 1958. So it's really weird because... Here is a television show that made the transition to radio. Most of these classic radio shows did just the opposite, making the transition to TV. Richard Boone played Paladin on TV, but on radio, John Daner starred in that role. And uh, Paladin was a former Union Cavalry officer. He was a graduate of the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. He was a decorated Civil War veteran. He was well-schooled. Highly cultured, he became rich as a hired gun at very high prices. He lived at the Swank Carlton Hotel in San Francisco. He dressed in formal attire. He ate gourmet food and frequented the opera. Now, that's not for me. Opera? No, I'm well aware. (laughs) No, 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 no. I like all those other things. You do? Not the opera. You you like the swanky clothes? Yeah, the swanky clothes and all that. He was a ladies' man, too. But here's the thing. He was a tough dude. You didn't want to mess with him. If you had a problem in the Old West, you went right. to Paladin because you could hire him and he'd take care of the problem. And that's, that's where you and Paladin uh, yeah, no, I go, don't... go separate ways. <laughs> no. And he carried a very big gun, a Colt forty-five Silver Action Army Cavalry revolver with a seven and a half inch barrel. He didn't mess around. No. So we're going to listen to a, a great radio broadcast for you now. January 18th, 1959, with Three Bells to Perdido, starring John Daner. 
uninterrupted, here's Have Gun, Will Travel. My gun was handcrafted to my specifications. I rarely draw it, unless I mean to use it. Have Gun, Will Travel. Starring Mr. John Daner as Paladin. San Francisco, 1875, the Carlton Hotel, headquarters of a man called Paladin. Oh, good evening, Mr. Paladin. Good evening, George. My key, please. Yes, sir, Mr. Paladin. Good evening, Mr. Paladin. Good evening, my dear. How nice to see you. Is it? Of course. Haven't you been avoiding me lately? <laughs> no, not at all. I've been out of town. Mr. Paladin! Mr. Paladin! Over here, hey, boy. Uh, you'll pardon me, my dear, but wait for me in the lounge. Well, if you don't take too long. <laughs> I won't. Hello, hey, boy. Oh, yes, sir, Mr. Paladin. I look for you. I get you papers from all places in West, like always. Uh, fine. Put them in my room. I'll be up later. Uh, right now, there's oh, a young lady. I think something you want to see in this journal from New Mexico. Oh. I mark. Uh, here. You read. Huh. Yeah, it looked like they need Mr. Paladin and his gun, eh? Yes, maybe so, hey, boy. Yeah. Uh, get me pen and paper. Oh, yes, sir. Right away. Good, good, good. You send cards, say, have gun, will travel. Dandruff bothers most men. Most women, too. So listen. Today, you can get rid of embarrassing dandruff in just three minutes. Yes, with Fitch Dandruff Remover Shampoo, unsightly dandruff's gone in three minutes. It's the quickest, easiest of all leading shampoos. That's not all. Using Fitch regularly is guaranteed to keep embarrassing dandruff away. Simply apply in the unique Fitch manner. Before you wet hair, rub in one minute. This way, Fitch Shampoo penetrates right down to the scalp. Next, add water. Lather one minute to wash every trace of dandruff out of your hair. Then rinse one minute. All that loosened dandruff goes down the drain. In three minutes, with Fitch, one rubbing, one lathering, one rinsing, dandruff's gone. And never forget, gentle Fitch can also leave your hair up to 35% brighter. To get rid of dandruff problems forever, brighten hair too, use Fitch regularly. Get Fitch Dandruff Remover Shampoo today, only 59 cents. Uh, I'll get it, Mr. Reed Oh, never mind I can still walk to my own door Well? My name is Paladin I got your wire Wire? What wire? Well, your name is Jesse Reed And what about her? You and 20 of your men tried to take the town of Perdido Below the border in Mexico and only five of you came back, not in very good shape. I see that you're still hobbling on one leg. Yeah, well, come on in. Thank you. Now, how uh, how do you know so much? I saw it in the San Francisco papers, and I sent you a card. 
Like this one. Huh? Have gun, will travel. Wire pallet in San Francisco. But I sent no wire. I have it right here. Gotch? Yes, sir, Mr. Reed. Do you send this man a wire? I figured maybe Mr. Paladin could help us, Mr. Reed. At least till he was able to set a horse again. Oh. You're a fast gun, huh? Fast enough. What do you figure you can do for me? Dave Enderby's wanted for murder, and he's holed up in an outlaw town in Mexico. And more important, he took your daughter with him, and when he went after her, he ambushed your men and shot you. I guess you'd like to see him again. Yeah, but if I couldn't bring him back with 20 men, how do you think you'll do it all alone? There are all kinds of tactics, Mr. Reed. <laughs> tactics? You one of them ex-army officers? Among other things. Yeah, I know your breed. Got to have action and money. Which brings us to my fee. I didn't ask you here. I ain't paying nothing. For Dave Enderby delivered to you, breathing? Yeah. How much? $1,000. That gun comes high. It's a good gun. Crafted to my own specifications. Ah, uh -huh. let me see it. <laughs> now, what do you think of that? I ask a man for his gun and he gives it to me. <laughs> Why, you overdressed tin soldier, you'd have about as much of a chance with Dave Enderby as a, a ribbon clerk. I'll have my gun back, Mr. Reed, or I'll put a hole between your eyes. This Derringer may not look as impressive, but it's just as effective at short range. Thank you. Now, what about Dave Enderby? A Derringer in your waistcoat. <laughs> You're a cool one. All right, then. You bring me Enderby alive, and you'll get your thousand. But nothing on account, only my word. I don't ask anything more. Enderby shot his first man when he was 15, in the back. That's where he tried to shoot me, and that's where he'll shoot you if he gets the chance. It's the only way he knows to fight. I'll remember. What do I do about your daughter? Uh, she went with him of her own free will. Let her stay. Mr. Reed. I said let her stay. All I want is Enderby. I'll get him. Uh, you're a fool, Paladin. You might get in, but you won't get out. The whole Mexican government can't get an outlaw out of Perdido. I couldn't, and you won't. We'll see. Good day, Mr. Reed. Welcome to Perido, senor. Senor, quite a welcoming committee. Do they always ring bells? To tell us a stranger is in the pass, it is guarded. Uh, I saw them. They didn't look very friendly. Not every stranger is a friend, senor. My name is Paladin. And mine is O'Brien. Oh, I am the alcalde here. A red-headed Mexican with an Irish name? In Perdido, what matters is not a man's nationality, but his disposition. If he is, shall we say, simpatico... Then he is welcome. For as long as he can pay. It is a poor business, senor, that does not make a profit. Do you have uh, friends here, senor Paladin? I'm looking for senor Enderby. Can you tell me where to find him? He is usually in the cantina. Thank you. Oh, senor Paladin. Yes? I must tell you about our bell. If it rings when one leaves Perdido, that one is always met in the past. Stay with us, senor, and be comfortable. And when you leave, 
I hope the bell does not ring for you. Good day, Senor O'Brien. Senor, don't shoot. The knife was not meant for you. Oh. That's a fast draw, mister, but you can holster your gun. We only thrown at that circle on the wall beside you. Like this. Well, amigo, I win again. <laughs> your pleasure, senor. Huh? Oh, tequila. Here, senor. You've been thrown at a man, amigo. You'd be dead now. I do not miss when it is a man. Double the bet, then? We'll see, but this time I use your knife. Hand it over, amigo. I permit you to use mine. Hey, senores. There is one law in Perido. We do not fight each other. Well, now, I thank you for reminding me. I ain't going to be the one to spoil the fun. Go ahead, amigo. Throw Dead, Senor. It was a good Look out. Alto, senor. You tried to cut me in the back. Just letting you know, I don't mind giving something away, but nobody takes nothing from me. Nothing. Here's your knife, amigo. Peek. <laughs> You'll know better next time. Enderby. How'd you know my name? I had a good description of you, of how you fight. I've come looking for you. For me? Mm-hmm. Seems I have to take you back across the border. That's so? Julio. <laughs> that is still against your neck, senor. So don't try anything or you will not leave, eh? Now I'll take that gun of yours, mister. You won't be needing it anyway. No, because I can't shoot you. I don't get paid unless I bring you back breathing. Who to? Jesse Reed. That old vinegaroon still alive and kicking? Very much so. And he wants you alive. What's your name, mister? Paladin. You want me to take care of him, Senor Enderby? Nah, let him go, Julio. He ain't got a chance. Bueno, Senor. Thank you. You know, I'd like to meet the young lady who caused all this. Nancy? Sure, why not? Nancy, get a real boot out of you. Come on, Mr. Paladin. Like a season ticket to the ballpark, CBS News admits you to every major event going on. Please note, too, that where CBS News is concerned, the world is the stadium, and the season of excitement knows no end. Regular features like our World News Roundup, broadcast seven mornings a week on CBS Radio, and its evening counterpart, The World Tonight, heard nightly over most of these same stations, make you spectator to the most spectacular events of our time. They take you right to where the news is happening, let you learn the details from experts who've watched the news develop. Every morning on CBS Radio, join CBS News correspondents on the World News Roundup for reports from the major news centers of the world. Every evening, let the world tonight take you to the scene of the news for on-the-spot reports and lively interviews with people in the news. No matter what is happening, no matter where it's happening, you'll be well informed if you follow the story on CBS Radio every time. Ah, excellent coffee, Mrs. Enderby. 
served on excellent china in a delightful patio. You must be very happy here. Tell him, honey. I am. I see. My father wasn't honest with you, Mr. Paladin. All he wanted was to set you against Dave. Did he tell you the way everybody back home talked about Dave? And all those scrapes he got into? He was forced? You're raking me with them spurs again. If you think you're going to turn me against Dave... He came for me, honey. Your daddy don't even want to see you again. That's true. He doesn't care if he ever sees me again. How do you know? She knows her old man. Got a hide thick as alligator. Dave! You managed to put some lead into that tough hide. He what? Now, don't you believe that, honey. I told the boys to let your daddy be. I saw him right away without a scratch. And your father saw Dave bushwhack him. Now, honey, don't that prove he'll say anything to split us? You've got quite a problem, Nancy. Who's the liar? Your husband or your father? Dave's wild, but he's no murderer. <laughs> if I'd done half the things folks say, I, I'd been dancing at the end of a rope long ago. There's still time. Dave, he's trying to make you fight. Don't let he him. He has to fight. Or come along with me. He's got my gun, but still he won't fight. He's yellow. It's not true. If you had a belly for fighting, you'd have finished off that fellow in the cantina. You'd have finished me. But you couldn't. Because we were face to face with you. Shut up. You, you're a rotten little coward. You can only bushwhack men. Stab or shoot them in the back. Why, you filthy... Dave! He's only knocked out. He'll wake up soon enough. I wish he'd killed you. But he didn't. Now... What are you doing? Just getting my gun back. No, stop. I'll have to finish it. No, no, please. I haven't a chance of getting out of Perdido alive otherwise. Don't kill him, don't. I'll do anything you say, please. Help me get out of Perdido. Come with me through the pass. All right. No trouble, no tricks. I have your word. Yes, you have my word. All right, let's go. I'll turn back here. You're almost out of the path. A little farther. I can still see the guards. You're perfectly safe now. I got you out of Perdido. Nancy, why don't you come back with me? You're crazy. You're wrong about your father. He wants you back. You've hurt him, but he loves you. Why not come back with me? No! You'd rather stay in Perdido with Enderby? Yes. Then I'll have to take you... Stop it! Let go of the rain! Don't worry. If he really loves you, he'll come after you. He'll... Sounds like he's worked himself free. And you'll soon be sorry you ever saw Perdido. You'll have to catch us first. Are we going to ride all night? The idea is to lose Dave, isn't it? We go on. Uh, please, can we slow down? After we cross the Rio Grande. I guess we can. He'll be catching up with us about now. Between the two of us, we've left a clear enough trail. Between the two of us? You think I didn't notice you dropping things along the way? If the trail was any longer, you'd have had a problem in modesty. Come on. We'll make camp here and have breakfast. You wanted him to follow us. Of course. I don't get paid without him.
time was when the sedan chair was considered the height of luxury. When you think of all the places you go and all the things you now do by radio, a sedan chair doesn't seem like much of a luxury at all. Tuned to a radio network like the CBS Radio Network, you can, in a matter of moments, travel to foreign capitals to learn what's happening to individuals or whole nations at a time. Because a network like CBS Radio is made up of many stations, stations like the one you're listening to now, the smartest supper clubs from New York to San Francisco invite you to dance to the music of their big-name bands night after night. Because CBS Radio's vast network facilities extend in every direction, you can laugh with the funniest comedians in Hollywood or on Broadway. Then move on to a serious discussion of space-age problems, and all in the course of an evening. By all means, use that sedan chair if you have one. But if you want to go places fast, take CBS Radio along. Have some more bacon? No. You simply used me to bring him out of Perdido. No. Let's say I accomplished two purposes with one action. To take you back to your father where you belong. And to get Enderby to the gallows where he belongs. It was more of your lies about my father still warning me about Dave shooting him. Dave tried to shoot him in the back. The way he'll try to shoot me. Now that he is here. What do you mean? He's up there in the rocks behind me, isn't he? How did you know? I've been watching your eyes. Depending on them to warn me. Now, if you... No, Dave! See how he works? If there's a way of crawling around to a man's back, he finds it. You're wrong. Besides, I don't care how he does it, just so he kills you. But that last shot might have killed you. You're crazy. He's my husband. He came after me. Not because he loves you, but because nobody takes anything away from him. He doesn't know. He thinks... Dave! Dave, I didn't leave you. He forced me. Come and get him. You get down. You wasted your breath. He won't come. He won't face a fair fight even for you. You're wrong. I'll prove it. All right, Enderby. Here I come. All right, Enderby. You've got a good shot at me now. And so have I at you. You want to finish it? You're welcome to try. No. No, I give up. Dave, are you all right? Listen, Paladin, I make a deal with you. It's really her the old man wants, not me. You take her and let me go. Dave! What about it, Paladin? No deal. I'll take you both. Gosh! Gosh! Yes, sir, Mr. Reed. Someone just rode into the yard. You better get outside and... Mr. Paladin. And Enderby. Delivered. Breathing. Well, not for long. Wait, wait, you can't shoot me. I got a right to a hearing. Mr. Reed. Just a minute, Mr. Reed. $1,000 first. I like things orderly. A bank draft will do. Yeah. Well, I have it all written out. There! There's your blood money, bounty hunter. Oh, get out. Thank you for sticking to the letter of our agreement. I'll do the same. You did. I paid you. Mm-hmm. But... 
Hey, give me my gun. I didn't agree to become an accessory to murder. You're in cahoots, the two of you. Suckered me for a thousand, gonna ride off laughing. Not day, if the law will take care of him. And you figure to pick up the reward, too. Nope. That belongs to Nancy. Nancy? Outside. But there's no use bringing her in. You said you never wanted to see her again. You had the nerve to come back here, did she? I'll give her what for. Nancy! You come here! All right. Look up at me. Come on. Dad, you're... You're late. Oh, I'm all right. Are you sure? How do you feel? Well, how do you think I feel? With a daughter ain't got no more sense than to stand out here in the sun when she's got a house to go into. Now go on. You get to your room. You get washed up. You look like you've been in a stampede. Now go on. Get Nancy, girl. All right, Dad. Mr. Paladin, so happy to see you back in San Francisco. All okay. <laughs> Hello, hey boy. Oh, I brought lots of papers to your room, Mr. Paladin. And a uh, pretty lady leave letter. Oh? Well, it's nice to be home. No one we know of approves of wasting money. In spite of that, however, we Americans are often guilty of wasting our money by the uses we make of our government facilities. Take the operation of the post office, for example. Mostly out of habit, many offices and individuals post outgoing mail at the end of the day. In so doing, they leave post office employees with too little work to do at other times of the day. In addition, we forget to include zone numbers as part of the address. In both ways, we're slowing down the entire system for delivering mail and adding to the cost of our postal operation. The problem is simple enough to solve. Start solving it tomorrow. If you will arrange to post letters and packages earlier in the day and include zone numbers on the return address as well as the outgoing address, you'll help our post office operate more efficiently for you and at less cost, too. Remember, for faster, more economical service, mail early in the day and include zone numbers. Gun will travel. Created by Herb Meadow and Sam Rolfe, is produced and directed by Norman McDonald, and stars John Daner as Paladin, with Ben Wright as Hayboy. Tonight's story was written by Sam Rolfe and adapted for radio by John Dunkel. Featured in the cast were Paul Dubov, Gene Bates, Joseph Kearns, William Allen, Don Diamond, Howard Culver, and Lillian Bayef. Hugh Douglas speaking. Join us again next week for Have Gun, Will Travel.
And that's Have Gun Will Travel, January 18, 1959, with Three Bells to Perdido, starring John Daner. There's all kinds of sponsors in there. Also in the cast, Ben Wright, Don Diamond, Howard Culver, Hugh Douglas doing the announcing, Gene Bates, uh, Paul Duvall. There's a lot of people in this cast here. Just uh, you and me were not in this uh, cast. Well, that's unfortunate, yeah, but there's always next time. Dessert <laughs> <laughs> on CBS. Have gun, will travel. All right, time now for the first half of the Charlie McCarthy show. Now, Charlie McCarthy was Edgar Bergen's dummy. Edgar Bergen, of course, a celebrated ventriloquist. And he actually had... That dummy created by a carpenter. He had it built, Lisa. The two were headliners in Chicago and all across the country during vaudeville's uh, era. And then Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy got their own radio show in 1937. Became very, very popular. In fact, it was the number one show on radio. It was an hour-long program. And they had all kinds of guest stars, movie stars, Mae West, Clark Gable, all these great actors appeared on the Charlie McCarthy show. And then it became a half-hour series as well. Had a long, long run. Tried to make a transition to television. Just didn't work on TV for some reason. Worked on radio. I don't right, know. Which absolutely it makes, makes no, no sense. No sense but, at all. You know. <laughs> Ventriloquist on the radio, right. but uh, super, super popular. And we have a half hour episode for you. We're going to play the first half in this hour, then the second half in our next hour. Jane Wyman is their special guest. Let's go back to October 19th, 1947 for the Charlie McCarthy Show. of Chase and Sanborn Coffee bring you the Charlie McCarthy Show. This is Ken Carpenter, ladies and gentlemen, greeting you on behalf of Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy, Ray Noble, Lucas Orchestra, Nita Gordon, Mortimer Snurd, Pat Patrick, and our special guest for this evening, Jane Wyman. And here's Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Charlie? Yes? Yes. I want to talk to you, Charlie. Well, some other time, Bergen. I'm a little busy right now. Yes. <laughs> Doing what? Uh, evading the issue. Yes. yes. <laughs> I want to talk to you about that agreement you made with me. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Awfully sorry, old chap. Yes. I never discussed business on Sunday. Well, now, just a moment. Charlie, you promised to clean out the basement if I took your skiing, didn't you? Well, I, 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 possibly so, yeah. Yes. Now, did you or did you not clean out the basement? Well, I uh, I did one of those. Yes. <laughs> you, you know very well that you didn't live up to your agreement, did you? Well, Bergen, my deal, it wasn't legal. Uh, what do you mean? Well, I was underage when I entered into it. Uh, it's a fact, ma'am, it's a fact. No, Charlie. Charlie, I... I just refuse to believe that you deliberately tried to trick me. You do? Yes. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead, be stubborn. I don't care. Right. And to prove to you that it doesn't pay to break promises, I'm going to tell you the story of the Pied Piper of Hamlin. Yeah. Oh, no. No, not that. No, no. No, no, not this story. Charlie, you know, I, I deserve to be punished, yes, but not tortured. Oh, no. 
No, this story has been handed down from generation to generation. Nobody could get rid of it, huh? No. <laughs> I used to listen to it as I sat on my grandfather's knee. Don't tell me this ventriloquist stuff is hereditary. No. <laughs> You don't have to live with it. All right. <laughs> now, this story concerns the little town of Hamlin. Its people were very unhappy because the town was full of rats. Anyone we know? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> the rats were making life miserable for everyone. But one summer's day, their chance to stray. Holy mackerel, the kid's a poet. All right. <laughs> Do you press flowers, too? And all right. <laughs> A stranger came to the town, and around his neck there hung a pipe. Had a fight with a plumber. No, no. (laughs) No, the pipe, the pipe was a magic flute. Yeah. And he offered to rid the town of all the rats for 1,000 guilders. Screen guilders? No, no. (laughs) So the mayor promised him money, and the townspeople looked at the strange spectacle that followed with their mouths open. Uh, I can hardly keep from yawning myself. Oh, no. <laughs> now, Charlie. Yeah. Do you uh, do you believe do you believe in miracles? Well, uh, you're getting by, aren't you, Bergen? All right. <laughs> Playing weird music, the piper led all the rats down the, down to the river. And what do you think happened when they got to the river? The rats pushed him in, and they lived happily ever after. The end. No. no, the rats walked right into the water and drowned. Yeah. Yes. I don't believe it. Well, it's the truth. It's the truth. I don't believe it. Yeah. Well, why not? I don't know. <laughs> I guess I just got one of those nasty streaks. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, they did. Nevertheless, I don't believe it. <laughs> Why? Well, I see, I see you, you can lead a rat to water, but you can't make him sink. Oh, I think <laughs> Well, the townspeople were overjoyed at what had happened. And so they danced and they sang. Tra-la-la-la-la-la, tra-la-la-la-la, no more rats, no more... Oh, please, please, please. Don't make this spectacle of yourself. <laughs> Just tell it. All right, all right. <laughs> Gives you an idea of what I have to put up with. All right. <laughs> now, the piper went to collect his money, but the mayor, the mayor refused to pay him. Ha-ha. <laughs> you see, the mayor didn't keep his promise. Well, what self-respecting politician does after election? Oh, no. <laughs> but this mayor, this mayor was a miser. He was too fond of money. Now we're getting into home territory. (laughs) Hey, Shylock. Then Pied Piper said, You will rue this day. You will suffer grievously. Oh, relax, Bergen. Take it easy. (laughs) The ballots are already out for the Academy Award. All right, all right. (laughs) So the Piper blew such a merry tune, all the children of Hamlin followed him, all laughing and clapping their hands. Yeah? Yes. The tune did it? Yes. Maybe we could get him to tootle a few notes over the audience here. No, no, no. <laughs> and the children were never seen again. Now, Charlie, tell me, what do you think of that story? What do I think? Yes. You want me to tell you? Yes. And get thrown off the air? No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, yes. 
Surely, Charlie, you, you know the moral of the story. Yeah, the moral? Yeah. Well, the moral is uh, uh, never trust a musician. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, Charlie, I mean, I mean, what is the object of the story? Well, the object is, is uh, to, to, uh, to kill eight minutes on the radio. No, no. <laughs> what is the moral? Well, I'd say if you build a better rat trap than the mayor, why, he'll beat you out of a thousand gilder sleeves. No, no. I don't know. and his orchestra with a special arrangement of the current hit, It's All Over Now. You think Chase and Sanborn. When you taste Chase and Sanborn, that's shade-grown flavor. You can't miss that bonus of extra goodness when Chase and Sanborn is your coffee. It's there in lavish, overwhelming abundance. All your cup will hold. It's not only finer flavor, but there's more of it. The richer, more delicious flavor of choice coffees grown in the shade. Tropical sunlight makes coffee grow fast, but tropical shade slows it down. And slow growth is just what's wanted. Naturally, because... Growing time is flavor-making time. So these finer coffees are planted in the shelter of taller trees that arch over the growing coffee, forming a leafy awning. The coffee beans are dappled with sunlight. They get just enough. And day after day, the soil goes on slowly, working its flavor-making magic. That's where shade-grown flavor comes from. And it's in Chase and Sanborn you enjoy it. Ask your grocer for Chase and Sanborn, the coffee with shade-grown flavor. What's what Uncle Remus says? Do 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 Remus says. Remus says. Oh, hello, hello there, mister. Uh, yeah, well, well, hello there, mister. Yeah. Well, uh, now, don't tell me that you don't know who I am. Well, I can't seem to remember your name, but um, your face is out of place, too, is that? 
Well, now tell me, what are you wearing this very best suit for? Well, I'm just wearing it. Yes, but I know. What is the occasion? Well, I figured, I figured I ought to look kind of elegant. You why? Well, now that I'm, I'm gonna be a picture star. A picture star? Yeah. No. No. <laughs> you a picture star? Well, that's nice. Yes. Well, 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 well. Yup, 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 yup. Well, when did all this happen? Well, uh, a fella, a fella come up to me on the street. Uh, uh, let's see. Or was it on the sidewalk? Oh, that's beside the point. No, it was beside the mailbox. Beside the mailbox. Yeah. A talent scout, huh? Yeah. Well, and you mean he signed you up for pictures? Yeah, that's what he did. Well, well, well. I, I signed my, my ex right on the spotted line. Is that so? <laughs> well, well. Well, the movies are always looking for a new face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So am I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, after all, Marjorie, your, your name should be box office. Yeah? Yes. Well, let me see. More than their box office. <laughs> That sounds right, 30. Yeah, I thought you'd like it. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, you ought to look good in pictures. Yeah, maybe so. Except my eyes. Your eyes. Yeah, my eyes are kind of pigeon-toed. <laughs> uh, I, I looked in a, in a mirror once, I did. Oh, you looked in a mirror. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What was your impression? I was never so insulted in my life. <laughs> You ain't much better looking at Yeah. I see. Well, now, with this picture contract, I suppose you'll be making big money? More sure. Two dollars a day. Well, now, that doesn't sound like movies. You better let me see your contract. Okay, here it is. Oh, yes, let's see. Yes, well, I'm... Uh, Mortimer, hmm? do you know what you've done? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> One at a time, please. <laughs> Why, you've signed up for those, one of those pictures, you know, for Comic Valentine Companies. Comic Valentine Company? Yes. Oh, lucky fellow, ain't right now. No. Why, the pictures will be caricatures. They'll make you look grotesque. Yeah, sure. It ain't everybody that can look like that either. No. <laughs> Mortimer. You're the personification of absurdity. No, I'm Mortimer Snurdity. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Boy, I called you half a dozen times last night, and there was no answer. Well, I wasn't home, Ray. Oh. Oh, it's a good thing I didn't put a nickel in the phone, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, I took Charlie to see the yearling last night because Jane Wyman is our guest today, and I wanted Charlie to be familiar with her latest picture. Hmm? You know, she played Ma Baxter. Really? Mm. Who won? Oh, <laughs> Hello, Edgar. Hello, Ray. Well, good Hello, evening, Ray. Jane Wyman. And that's the first half of the Charlie McCarthy Show from October 19th, 1947. Special guest, 
Jane Wyman with Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy, and the whole gang. Hope you enjoyed that. Don't forget, we have a classic radio club where you can join and receive 10 classic radio shows each and every month sent to you along with liner notes. To learn all about the Classic Radio Club, go to our website, classicradioclub.com, classicradioclub.com. And of course, we want you to join the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Become a member of the Museum of Broadcast Communications right here in Chicago. Right. It's a very special museum uh, located right in the city here. And for a $49 a year membership, you get some great perks at the museum. You'll get a unlimited museum admission, of course. You get the monthly newsletter. You get a discount at the museum store, invitations to member events, and of course, 70 free classic radio shows shows that you get to download for being a member of wow. the museum. Less than $50, you'll get 70 classic radio shows, plus all those other right. perks. Go to the website, check it all out. It's museum.tv. Museum.tv. More on the WGN Radio Theater after this short break. In our next hour, we'll have the conclusion to the Charlie McCarthy Show with special guest Jane Wyman. Then we'll tune into The Man Called X, Good Secret Agent Drama starring Herbert Marshall. That's all coming your way right after the news. Hour two of the WGN Radio Theater Program 475 in the series. Lisa and I are here each Saturday night from 10 p.m. until 3 o'clock in the morning, bringing you these golden age of radio shows. Oh, my gosh. All the best shows. The Shadow Jack Benny, Boston Blackie, The Whistler, Gunsmoke, Inner Sanctum, all your favorites right here, Saturday nights, 10 p.m. until 3 o'clock in the morning. In this hour, we will have the conclusion to the Charlie McCarthy show from 1947. Then it's The Man Called X, starring Herbert Marshall, Good Secret Agent Adventure from 1951. All that begins after this short break. Welcome back. Hour two of the WGN Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. My co-host, Lisa Wolf, is here. We're here every Saturday night till three o'clock in the morning. And last hour, Lisa, we began listening to the Charlie McCarthy Show, a good half-hour adventure. We played the first 15 minutes. We have the conclusion now from October 19th, 1947. And uh, their special guest is Jane Wyman. Here's the conclusion to the Charlie McCarthy Show. Just discussing your latest picture, Jane. How nice. I hope. Oh, yes, 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 you were wonderful. And that little deer in the picture, you know, he was quite an actor, too. Oh, yes, he was so cute. I just love that little deer. Did somebody call me? (laughs) Hello, Charlie. Well, hello. Uh, uh Uh-oh, Jiggers, it's Ma Baxter. Let me out of here. Now, Charlie, I'm not really like that. I was only playing a part. I like children. You mean you wouldn't treat me like you did, uh, Jody? Mm-mm. Why, if you were my son, I'd be so kind. Yeah. I'd be so sweet. Uh-huh. And I'd be so loving. Uh-huh. Oh, Mama. <laughs> Why, I'd never scold you. You could have anything your little heart desired. Oh, Gad, if she could only throw her voice, too. <laughs> now, I can just see me as your ma watching over you and, and a caring for you. Yeah, well, let me stand over by you, and I want to see it, too. <laughs> 
Ma, I'm home. Oh, my precious darling, I didn't hear you. You must slam the door much harder. You mean like this? <laughs> Why, yes, that's fine. Oh, look, your dad ratted naughty little old shoes are tracking mud all over the rug. Yeah, so what? <laughs> Why, nothing, dear. Ma'll just have to get a new rug. Son? Oh, here comes your pa. Oh, there you are, young man. And I've been just studying your report card. You'll never learn anything that way. <laughs> Every month your grades are getting lower and lower. Well, it won't always be that way. I ought to hit bottom right soon now. <laughs> Son, you're nothing but a spoiled brat. No, he ain't. All right, then he's not a spoiled brat. I am, too. <laughs> All you want to do is argue. Son, you don't understand. I want you to grow up and be like me. No, no, no. Pa's trying to scare me again. <laughs> Young man, what you need is a good old spanking. You're a good old-fashioned one, too. Wow, you better put that into it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, with my hairbrush. Whoa. <laughs> so you finally found a use for it. <laughs> Pulling it out of the fire. <laughs> Gee, Ma, you know, you know, I sure love you, Ma. And as for you, Pa, 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 Pa. Yes, son. <laughs> Ma, why did you marry that man anyway? Well, boy, there was a drought that year. Must have been a dandy. <laughs> Well, this whole thing has me so upset, I'm going up to my room and lie down. Well, I declare, he'll use anything for an excuse to lay down. Ma, the true, if the truant officer comes, will you tell him I'm not here? But you have my permission to play hooky any day you want. Oh, there you go, taking all the fun out of it. <laughs> I'm a natural for this part, little stinker that I am. <laughs> Well, may I come in? Why, certainly. Who are you? Yeah, and what's your complaint? I'm your neighbor, and I haven't any complaint. Well, don't call yourself a neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> I found one of your chickens in my yard, and I brought her back. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quiet, Henrietta. That's Henrietta. Say, little girl, you're kind of cute. Why haven't I seen more of you? Well, my mother makes me stay in the house all day and practice opera. Isn't it awful? Yeah, I've heard you. <laughs> now, I bet you have a right nice operatic voice. Why don't you sing something? Oh, all right. La, 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 I think Henrietta will get to the Met before you do. <laughs> oh, I don't care. Because anyway, I'd rather sing popular songs like this. I don't love you, oh, but I do. How can I show that I do?
comes the bakery man. Oh, I'm going to run home and get a nickel. Yeah, Ma, can I have a nickel? Why, my darling little precious, here's $36. <laughs> oh, darn it, I only asked for a nickel. I never get what I want around here. I pray on getting you. Friends, I, I, I am your bakery ma'am. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I, I am. Uh-huh. And I have just oodles of strudels and all sorts of chewy, gooey goodies and uh, delicacies. Well, how about some strawberry tarts? Oh, yummy, yummy. Do you have strawberry tarts? No, but yummy, yummy anyway. <laughs> but I do, I, I do have a chocolate eclair de lune. Oh, my. And my apple pan is the dowdiest you ever saw. I can see it from here. And friends, uh, with every $5 purchase, I give you a pie free. Oh, is that customary? No, it's Huckleberry. <laughs> but I do, I do have some uh, peach pie that's just peachy. It was that? Oh, oh, oh excuse me, I, I guess that was redundant. <laughs> well, we take a small size redundant then. <laughs> now, don't you have something just a little different? Well, uh, yes, I have a pineapple right-side-up cake. <laughs> Why don't you have any upside-down cake? Uh, no, but you can eat one of these standing on your head, and you'll never know. <laughs> now, if I had my brothers, I'd rather have corn pone, but my, my boy here wants chocolate eclairs. Oh, he does? Oh, goody, goody. Why, I just have a dozen left, too. Now, let's see. Uh, where? Uh, yeah. Oh, for goodness sake, my gosh. Oh, gracious me, they're gone. Young man, they were right beside you. Did you take them? Oh, me? No. (laughs) These days you cannot trust anyone. Someone has pilfered my eclairs, and I'm just going to get out of here before someone absconds with my strudel. And all I can say is, goodbye, (laughs) all.
proud of you. Just think, you ate a whole dozen of them there chocolate eclairs all by yourself. Mm. But I never seen your face so green before. And it isn't even spring. <laughs> oh, I'm sick. Uh, oh, oh, Pa! Yeah, what is it, dear? Say, say, what are you doing with that rubber plant on the chair? It's me. Oh, it's you. Yeah. I don't feel good. Oh. Well, you reckon I should call a doctor? Oh, I wouldn't be too hasty. Why don't you wait a few months? Sorry, B. Is there a doctor in the house? Yes, yes, yes. I'm Dr. Noel. Did you call for a doctor? Yeah, what held you up? A long freight train. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now then, uh, open your mouth and stick out your tongue. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh-huh. Just as I thought. What, doctor? I forgot my glasses. <laughs> well, tell me, doctor, is there any hope? I don't know. What are you hoping for? <laughs> well, now, let me take your pulse, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, there we are. Just as steady as a clock. Well, it ought to be. It's my wristwatch. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, sometimes I almost wish that I'd gone to medical school. No. Yeah. But in any case, I suggest that we operate. Yes, yes, operate. Mm -hmm. Well, I just can't imagine it. Having all the water I need right here. Not even caring if some slops over now and then. Ma, what's that got to do with my operation? Well, nothing, but I still love that scene I did in the yearling. Oh, I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd rather look forward to this, you know, because yeah. uh, I performed the same operation last week. Was it successful? Oh, certainly, yes, yes, yes. I didn't cut myself once. <laughs> well, there's no time to waste. Now, please, hand me my rubber gloves and my rubber galoshes. Rubber galoshes? <laughs> what for? <laughs> well, you see, I'm just frightfully messy. Oh. <laughs> but, Doctor, you ain't told us what's wrong with the boy yet. Ah, uh, yes. Well, you see, actually, it's spoiled brats caused by bad circulation and being tied to his mother's apron springs. You mean to say that we have spared the rod and spoiled the child? <laughs> exactly, yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> I prescribe a hot application of the paddle to the posterior. <laughs> Son? Yes, Father? Come here to your daddy. Yes, Father. I've been waiting to do this for a long time. But, but, but them, the, them psychologicist uh, fellas, mm. they say if you spank a child, you have failed as a father. Yeah? Well, I now declare myself bankrupt. <laughs> Come here, I'm going to make a bum out of myself. No, father, no! Be sure and listen in next Sunday when Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy, Ray Noble, Anita Gordon, and Pat Patrick will welcome as their guest, Nelson Eddy. <laughs> this week, when you're buying coffee, think of us and ask for Chase and Sanborn, the coffee with shade-grown flavor. Jane Wyman appeared through the courtesy of Warner Brothers, producers of the current motion picture, Nora Prentice. This is Ken Carpenter speaking to you from Hollywood's Radio City. The National Broadcasting Company. And that's The Charlie McCarthy Show, October 19, 1947, starring Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy, sponsored by Chase and Sanborn Coffee. Their special guest, Jane Wyman, and Ken Carpenter doing the announcing. Good old Ken Carpenter. 
It, my favorite, it's so hard for you not to do that joke. Announcer. I'm not going to say anything <laughs> okay. about the okay. fact that he had a tool belt and he was quite the carpenter. He was no. good with his hands. He used to build things all the time. <laughs> it just not ruined say it. You just ruined the joke. Any of that. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the Charlie McCarthy show. Don't forget, we have a website for this show, WGNRadioTheater.com. Check it out. All kinds of fun things there. And don't forget, we have a club, the Classic Radio Club, that you can join and become a club member. You'll get 10 classic radio shows that I choose each and every month from my library of over 100,000 shows. You'll get digitally remastered, beautiful sound, 10 shows each and every month, along with liner notes sent to you to your email or on five CDs in a collector case. Now, I know Mike loves the CDs. I love the CDs. Lisa, not so much. I like to be different. I'm all about the downloads. She likes the digital downloads. (laughs) But either way, you can get them all at the Classic Radio Club. That's right. Be a part of the group. Go to ClassicRadioClub.com. That's our website, ClassicRadioClub.com. Okay, are you ready for The Man Called X? This was a secret agent series, Lisa, and it starred debonair British actor Herbert Marshall as FBI secret agent Ken Thurston. Now, our government dispatched him to dangerous locales all over the world to fight our enemies. Leon Belasco played Mr. X's assistant, Pagan Zeldsmith, and it debuted over CBS radio in 1944, lasted all the way to 1952. And there was a TV series from 1956 to 1957 starring Barry Sullivan. So it did make the transition to the video, too. It's time now for a radio broadcast of The Man Called X from February 10th, 1951. This is called As Black as Diamonds. This stars Herbert Marshall. Here's The Man Called X. Now we present Herbert Marshall as The Man Called X, the Saturday night feature on NBC's five-show festival of comedy, music, mystery, and drama. Herbert Marshall as the man called X. Wherever there is mystery, intrigue, romance, in all the strange and dangerous places of the world, there you will find the man called X. Vassar Basin is the backbone of industrial Europe supplying the potential strength of the defensive skeleton that is the Atlantic Pact. And within this giant of white-hot steel and black coal, there cannot be allowed to form the red, cancerous rust of dissidents, turmoil, and false ideologies. A small black car weaves its way through the pandemonium that is traffic in the gay city of Paris. Then, eventually, it reaches the comparative quiet of the side street known as the Rue Didier. I got the latest figures on coal production in the SAR just before we left the ECA offices, Ken. Not too encouraging. More work stoppages in the mines, Chief. More accidents. That's right. Particularly in the Kobsa mines at Birkenfeld. Uh, Ken, we've got to do something about that. And fast. That's what we're here for, Chief. When I think of how badly that coal is needed to build up Europe's... Uh, why it's more valuable than diamonds. So are the people in the SAR. Huh? Those mines shutting down mean no work for them. No money, no food. Chief... 
people like that will turn anywhere for help. Even to cockeyed promises from the East. Mm. That's our real job, to keep those people on our side working and happy. Well, if the mayor of Bergenfeld brought the information he promised to Paris, we'll have a lot more to go on. Maybe he even knows who's responsible for those accidents at the Cobsa Mines. I will soon find out. Here's the concierge is staying at. Hello, Mr. Thurston. Well, oh. Schmidt. That's right, Mr. Chief. Plenty happy to see me, eh, Mr. Thurston? Would you like to take over, Chief? With pleasure, Ken. Zell Schmidt, for the past three days, you've hounded us all over Paris. Now you're through, permanently. Not another word, Mr. Chief. <laughs> this time, I'm holding the palm in my hand. What? <laughs> well, I don't care one way about the Cobza mines and the Birkenfeld place. But if you're interested in some red-hot Johnny-on-the-line information about them... <laughs> what do you know about those mines, Pagan? Please, Mr. X, would you want me to tell tattles on a friend without get- getting paid for it? Ken. They came from inside the pension. Let's go. Which way, Ken? That door's open. Let's try it. That is far enough, gentlemen. Ken. Step over to the other side of the room, please. Quickly. Well. Yes. Come on, Chief. Oh, Ken, they're in the corner. Yeah. Mind if we take a look at him, Miss, um... We can forget the amenities. As for the mayor of Birkenfeld, there is nothing anyone can do for him now. I can see that. I would suggest you wait at least ten minutes before attempting to follow me. It might prove very dangerous if you try to move before then. Off we Come on, Ken. After her. Why bother? Why bother? For Pete's sake, she just killed a man. Chief, I'm going to pay a visit to the Saar Basin. I'll discuss it with her there. But what good will... Wait a minute. You mean you know her? I've seen her picture in the paper. Well, who the devil is she? She's usually identified as the very rich and very wild Aline Kobza. Kobza? Owner of the Kobza mines at Buckenfeld. Your pardon, please. Yeah, Herr Thurston. That's right. Who are you? My name is Hoffman, captain of the Birkenfeld Civil Police. What can I do for you, Captain? Return to Paris on the next plane, Herr Thurston. Oh? Why? We have no need for outside assistance here. My men and I are quite capable of handling any difficulties that might occur in the mines. You haven't been too successful so far, Hoffman. The disturbances will cease when Karl Brewer is imprisoned. Who is Karl Brewer? Foreman of the Corpse Mines. Oh, do you make it a habit to imprison foremen because of accidents? Accidents, no. Sabotage? Yeah. You're sure that's what it is? Aren't you here, Thurston? I'll let you know after I've been here a while. But I have already informed you that there is no need for your presence here. I'm more interested in what you haven't informed me, Hauptmann. And what is that? How you happen to meet me here at the airport. How you know why I'm here. I'll see you around, Hauptmann. Are you, Mr. Thurston, this way, right here. What? <laughs> Hop into my limousine and I'll give you all the dope on the Cobza mines. For a slight consideration, of course. So, Aline Kobza sent this car for me. Sure. I got to know that cute little kuchen in Paris. 
I knew right away after I read about her in the papers that, uh, that we had mutual interest. She was rich and you were broke. That's right, she was... Mr. Thurston. So you wangled a job as her chauffeur. Chauffeur? Oh, that explains a lot of things. What you were doing at the pension, your cracks about the coves of mines, and you probably told Captain Hope when I was coming here. Well, after that accident to the mayor, I knew you'd be following us down here. Naturally, I wanted to meet you. So I asked that Hauptmann joker to check you for me. Oh, he was plenty happy, too. Yeah, I can see that. Well, anyways, now that we're working together, I guess there'll be no more trouble in the little cookie's minds. Hey, Mr. Thurston? Guess again, Pagan. Huh? A mind was still blowing at three in the afternoon doesn't mean lunchtime. Step on it. Carl, what excuses do you have to offer this time? Rotten timbers used for sure. I do not need any excuses, Miss Corpser. I warned you, it was only a question of time before they would collapse. As foreman of my mind, it is your responsibility to see no accidents occur. And as owner, it is your responsibility to see that my men work under safe conditions. Three more of them lie dead in the east shaft. Five more are badly injured. That is most unfortunate. How soon can we start mining the east shaft again? Perhaps in... 36 hours. See to it, we are operating within 12. 12? It cannot be done. 12 hours, Carl. And I would not advise any deliberate delay on your part. For it seems we are about to be honored by the presence of an expert in seeing through such tactics. Is that not right, Mr. Thurston? Is it, Miss Cobzer? Who is this man? He is Ken Thurston, the expert I just mentioned. Mr. Thurston, this is my foreman, Carl Brewer. How are you, Brewer? So you are an authority on mines, Mr. Thurston. That may prove quite unfortunate for you here. What's that supposed to mean? Mining experts are not needed here, Mr. Thurston. Only safety devices. And if you do not think so, remember that accidents are not particular as to their victims. They can happen to experts, too. This way, please, Mr. Thurston. My office is this way. We can discuss your visit with more privacy here. What is there to discuss, Miss Coulter? Perhaps we may clarify certain misunderstandings you have regarding me. If you still believe I murdered Birkenfeld's mayor in Paris. You know, Mr. Thurston, I found your friend Zellschmidt a most amusing person. Ah, the conversation was getting interesting. Why change the subject? The mayor called me in Paris. I came to his pension to learn what he knew about the accidents. Before we had a chance to talk, someone outside the rear window shot him. That is all there was to it. You wouldn't think so if you'd been on the other end of that gun. I had no intention of becoming involved. I had enough unfavorable publicity in the Parisian papers. That could be a reasonable explanation. Why not give it to the surete in Paris? Perhaps I will, Mr. Thurston. Now... Is there any other cooperation I can extend to you? You can tell me what you know about Hopman. Emil, our police captain? Yeah. He is above suspicion. Can you say the same for your foreman, Carl Brewer? Just a minute. Charles, will you bring in the report on Carl Brewer, please? Certainly, Miss Corpsock. It's the gentleman here who wishes to see it. Yes, Charles. This is Mr. Thurston. Mr. Thurston. Charles Groen, my office manager. Glad to know you, Groen. It is a pleasure, sir. 
Here is the information Miss Kotzo requested. Uh, Brewer's entire personnel record, as well as all the background we've been able to obtain on him. Thanks. Yeah, it'll take a little time to... Uh-huh. I see Brewer was with the French resistance movement during the war. He was. Why is he penciled in question mark after the statement? I can explain that, Mr. Thurston. I was in the same unit of the Marquis as was Brewer. He was suspected at the time of being a Gestapo agent who had slipped into our ranks. Uh-huh. Any proof? No, neither of his guilt nor innocence. It is quite unfortunate, too, particularly since a series of uh, accidents here at the mine. Yeah. About time he gave somebody a chance to prove something about those. You forget we have been trying to do that ever since the accident started. I'm afraid it will not be too easy to accomplish, even for such an expert as you, Mr. Thurston. Oh, it shouldn't be too tough, Miss Kudzer. If sabotage is involved, somebody will start giving himself away. What makes you think that? I'm going to start spending some time down in the mine. I don't get it, Mr. Thurston. Why do you want to go wandering down here in the bottom of the earth for anyway? I'm setting myself up as a sitting duck, Pagan. Huh? What kind of talk is that? Ducks would have better sense than to go sitting around in the coal mine tunnels. Hey, what are those uh, things running along here that, that look like railroad tracks? Railroad tracks? Oh, are you joking, Mr. Thurston? There's hardly room in this narrow place for me to get through. The loading cars can just about make it. Loading cars? They carry the workers to the mine headings and, and bring out the coal. Boy, private railroad cars to go to work in? Hmm. Pretty soft for those miners, jokers. It's me who died in that accident didn't think so. Hey, this is the end of the tunnel. Yeah, let's start back. But there's nothing down here. No, no accidents, no nothing. This tunnel's in the west shaft, Pagan. The accident happened in the east shaft. They haven't mined this tunnel for over four months. But by comparing the two, I can... Pagan... Hear that? Sure, it sounds like a, like a railroad train. There must be some of those loading cars running in this tunnel. Yeah. Don't the driver know there's no room in this narrow place for both of us and the train? Don't he? Mr. Rex! Start running, Pagon, fast. But, but there's no place to run to. Up ahead there, run! Yeah, that train bashed itself flatter than the flapjack at the end of the tunnel. Hey, hey, what happened to the poor driver? There wasn't any driver. Huh? Then how come it was running loose in a tunnel where nobody works? If I didn't know better, I'd, I'd think somebody was trying to run us down. continue with The Man Called X in just a moment. When we ask you to try anison for the relief of pain due to a headache, neuritis, or neuralgia, we're not asking you to try a new or unproved method. For there are many people listening in now who have been introduced to anison tablets by their own dentist or physician. You who have received anison this way know the effective, incredibly fast relief these tablets bring. Anison is like a doctor's prescription. That is, anison contains not just one 
but a combination of medically proven active ingredients in easy-to-take tablet form. People by the thousands are using modern anison today instead of other ways. Doesn't their experience seem worth following? Try anison the next time you suffer pains from headache, neuritis, or neuralgia. You will be delighted with the results. Ask your druggist for anison today. Anison is spelled A-N-A-C-I-N. Now, Act Two of The Man Called X, starring Herbert Marshall, with Leon Belasco as Pagan Zellschmidt. I'll worry about that, Chief. What did you find out? Aline Copes is broke. She's had a petition for ECA funds to keep her mind going. So the newspapers weren't kidding about her being a wild spender. Any word from ECA? Oh, they'll give her the funds all right. Those mines have to be kept going. But with a proviso. A government administrator appointed to handle all the... the... Ken, you still there? That was someone else hanging up, Chief, not me. An extension phone? Could be... I'm going to check on it. When you get the dope I asked for, hang on to it. I'll have Pagon get in touch with you from town. Okay, Ken. Will do. Were you looking for something, Mr. Thurston? Yes, your extension phone. It wouldn't happen to be in the library there with you, would it? As a matter of fact, it is. Did you enjoy your little eavesdrop? It was not too enlightening. After all, it is no news to me that I need money badly. Some people could make a pretty strong motive out of that. Oh? Yeah. A woman who likes to spend money like you do might not be too particular where it comes from. You're saying, Mr. Thurston, that such a woman might even take pay to destroy her own minds? That's right, Aline. What do you think? Why not? If the minds no longer provide her an income... I trust, Fräulein Kupsa, that this meeting will not take too long. I have my duties to perform. So also have Mr. Groen, Mr. Brewer, and myself, Captain. But since Mr. Thurston seems to know what the Marshall Plan will require I'll of make us... it short. This meeting is a council of war. The idea is to keep the Kobza mines operating at full production levels. You realize, of course, Thurston, that that is just what we've been attempting to do in the past. Let's see if we can be successful this time, Brewer. What are your suggestions, Mr. Thurston? Brewer, I want you to step out of your job as office manager and take over supplies. Oh? Check every piece of material that goes into the mines for possible tampering or sabotage. That means everything. Timbers, rails, drills, blasting powder. Handling the supplies has always been my job, Thurston. Well, you're going to be too busy stepping up protection to handle anything but your men. So far, Herr Thurston, I fail to see why I have been included in this meeting. Your job is to supply police guards at the mines, Hoppen. Enough of them, so there won't be any more accidents. And, uh, what of me, Mr. Thurston? Surely you have some job for me to perform also. You like finances, Aline. Suppose you handle that end of things. It will be a pleasure. All right, Thurston. I will see that my men produce the work. But one more accident, and I will refuse to order them down again. My men will work for a decent life, Thurston, for their homes, their families, their country. 
But nothing could make them work for an owner who will deliberately sacrifice their lives for money. Here, Mr. Thurston. Quiet, you idiot. Oh, oh, there you are, Mr. X. I thought I saw you wandering around in the dark. What are you doing over here near the powder house? Any... <gasps> Mr. X. Yeah. I just found him. Oh. Why did you always have to go around finding dead bodies? Who, who is he? The night watchman. But, but who? Well, I... What's going on? That little talk of mine earlier. Looks like it's starting to break things open. You still got the keys to Aline Cobes' car? Who needs keys? Okay. Get into Birkenfeld. Call the chief. Tell him I need every bit of dope he's got right now. Sure, Mr. X. But where will I find you? I'm going to check the powder house first, then the mine. Now beat it. You bet, Mr. X. I'm off like a couple of buttons. There is no doubt about it, Mr. Thurston. A number of the powder boxes are gone. And the detonator caps and fuses as well. That's what I figured. I was out cold for about 15 minutes before you found me. That's enough time to... Does Brewer have any men down in the mine? A full shift went to work. But surely you don't think... I'm going down there, Eileen. You get hold of Houghton and his men. Tell them they better locate that powder and fast. Houghton, but I saw him in the mine elevator. Starting to go down the shaft. What's your hurry, brother? Thurston. Thurston, there's a powder charge laid down here somewhere. We have to find it. How do you know about that? Because I was in the powder house. I know what is missing there. You wouldn't happen to know who knocked me out, would you? Of course I know. I did. Well, that's frank enough. In the dark, I couldn't tell who you were. I thought you might... What difference does that make now? We have to find the powder. And I've looked everywhere I could think of. You didn't happen to check the loading cars, did you? The loading cars, no. But what? Thurston. There are some cars coming this way now. That's right. Good Lord. The powder is aboard one of those cars and the train is a runaway. Yeah. One guesses to what will happen when it hits the end of the track. Oh, come on, please. Get up here before it is too late, please. Hello, Miss Cook. Oh, uh, What's cooking with everybody? Thank you, Schmidt. What are you doing here? Looking for Mr. Thurston. He wasn't in a powder house, so I figured I'd take this elevator thing down into look, the mine. Look, look, Schmidt. Have you seen Captain Hartman's men around? Sure. Hartman gave them the night off in Birkenfeld. Birkenfeld? Yeah, they're drinking beer and playing pinnacle. Oh, I should have known. Well, I'll tell you the next time. With your money and my cards, we'll practically own the whole thing. Schmidt. You had better pray that Ken Thurston is coming up on this elevator. Huh? 
You mean something going on down there? Hey, you see who's on board? That's the joker you were looking Captain for. Captain Hoffman, did you stop it? Stop it, Farland. What do you refer? This sabotage of the mine, you fool. Did you stop it? My dear Farland, I can assure you that there will be no sabotage of your mines tonight or at any other time. You have my word for it. You, Fräulein Kurz, I did make a most thorough check. There was not the slightest trace of blasting powder. It is not possible. All right, Hoffman. All right. It is all over. The mine is gone. Who cares about the mine? Mr. Thurston was down there. He's the one who's gone. What am I going to do now? I have sent some crews down to check the damage, but I'm afraid it will be several hours before we hear anything. Mm. Why wait that longer? Ken! Yes, sir. I'll give a report now. It's you. It's really you. But I do not understand, Herr Thurston. The explosion, it must have blown the tunnel into bits. It did. In the west shaft. The west shaft? What the... That's the one where there's no coal, no nothing. Not quite, Pega. There are still tracks for the loading cars and switches to route them in there. Ah, so. The powder was aboard loading cars. And you switched them into the west tunnel. Yep. The brewer says he'll have the mine in operation again by daybreak. Hey, then we're in business, Mr. Thurston. <laughs> There's going to be plenty of coal coming out of the Cobza mine. Plenty of it, Pagan. As for future accidents, well, we'll put an end to them. Captain Hoffman. Yeah, yeah, You may as well arrest Charles Gowen now. Charles! You are joking, of course. How about it, Pagan? You got the report from the chief? Huh? Oh, that one? Yeah, sure. Said something about this grown character being a Gestapo man or something in the French resistance. No, you are mistaken, Selschmidt. That is Karl Brewer you speak it of. It won't do, Gowen. The files in Paris don't make mistakes. Even granting that you are right, there is no proof against me. No? Someone tried to run me down with those loading cars. I'd have hunched the same trick might be tried again. So I laid a trap. A trap, Thurston? I smeared a light mixture of graphite and grease on the throttle of every sh- shuttle engine in the mine. When you set that powder train going, you got that mixture on the palms of your hands. Not so fast with that gun, Gron. Oh, boy, you really powdered him, Mr. X. He's out like a... Hey, look at his hands. There's nothing on them. I know. But can... A mixture of graphite and grease? His palms should have been black. Yeah. But he didn't have any on his hands. Mr. Thurston, you mean all that stuff you told him was was just a gag? That's right, Pagan. He didn't have to have any black on his hands. His conscience was black enough. Here's a word from RCA Victor. It's a great life this week for television enthusiasts. Yes, the current issue of Life magazine, dated February 12th, contains a really thrilling double-page advertisement showing RCA Victor's complete new 1951 series of Million Proof Television, America's favorite television, owned most, proved most, 
And now, more wonderful than ever, 14 brand-new RCA Victor models, each more glamorous than the last. Table toppers, consoles, and console combinations. Cabinets ranging from an exquisite 18th-century lowboy to a stunning modern swiveler. 14, 17, and 19-inch screen with such beautiful pictures. Well, you'll simply have to see them to believe them. So run, don't walk to the nearest RCA Victor dealers and meet all the glamorous new million-proof models in real life. Here's hoping you can take home your favorite set soon and start having the time of your life enjoying the life of your time with matchless RCA Victor Television. Now, here is our star, Mr. Herbert Marshall. Thanks for being with us. And before I say anything else, I think you ought to know that those in tonight's cast were Joan Banks, Will Wright, High Aberback, Harry Bartell, and Ben Wright. Next week's story is called North of 38. And I don't think I need to tell you where it takes Mr. X. It's a story filled with plenty of danger and high adventure. And complicating matters, as usual, but will be Leon Velasco as Pagan Zellschmidt. So join us, won't you, when next I return as a man called X. Good night. The Man Called X is a Saturday night feature on NBC's five-show festival of comedy, music, mystery, and drama. Brought to you by the makers of Anison for fast relief from pain of headache, neuritis, neuralgia. And by RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, first in television. The Man Called X, starring Herbert Marshall, is a J. Richard Kennedy production with music composed and conducted by Felix Mills. Tonight's story was written by Sidney Marshall. All characters and incidents on this program are fictitious, and any resemblance to actual characters or incidents is purely coincidental. Be sure to listen tomorrow evening for The Big Show with Tallulah Bankhead and the Great Parade of Stars, the Sunday night feature of NBC's All-Star Festival. And until next week, same time and same station, this is Jack Latham saying good night for The Man Called X. Join your hit parade, and later, it's Dennis Day on NBC. And that's The Man Called X, a broadcast going back to February 10th, 1951, as Black as Diamonds, starring Herbert Marshall, as heard on NBC. Hope you enjoyed that. Let's take a quick break, then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater. All right, in our next hour, we will tune into Casey, crime photographer. Stotts Cotsworth is the star of that episode. Then Red Skelton, uh, he stars in one of his first radio series. It was called Avalon Time. We're going to go way back to 1939. You'll hear Red in a very early show from his career. Hope you enjoy that. That's all coming your way after the news. Hour three of the WGN Radio Theater. Lisa Wolf and I are here every Saturday night, 10 p.m. until 3 o'clock in the morning. Eight classic radio shows. That's our new format. In our five-hour time slot, we bring you eight classic radio shows. In this hour, we will have a half-hour episode of Casey Crime Photographer, starring Stotts Cotsworth from 1947. Then we'll hear the first half of Avalon Time, starring Red Skelton, going way back to 1939. This is all coming your way after this short break. 
Welcome back to the WGN Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. My co-host, Lisa Wolf, is here. Our executive producer is Mike Gastella. And uh, we're here till 3 o'clock in the morning. So try to stay up and tell a friend. You know what, Lisa? What, Here, look. Oh, I My know what Veronica that is. My Veronica M face mask. I love it. That is the best face mask that you can buy. They are so soft. They are very fashionable. They have great quality, great fit. They are five masks, $35. All masks are unisex. They have a self-tie option or the elastic option. And there's all sorts of patterns. There's stripes, there's solids, there's camouflage. Uh, I think you should check it out. Go to her website. It's Veronica m.shop. You can follow her on Instagram at Veronica M. Clothing. All of these masks are made in the USA. They are made in her factory in Los Angeles. Five masks, $35. Beautiful masks, comfortable, safe, quality, best fit around. Since you have to wear masks anyway, Wear the same masks Lisa and I are wearing. Wear the best. And you know what? Go to the Facebook page. Check out my family and the WGN team wearing these masks. And you can also see some of the the behind-the-scenes photo making the mask. This hour, it's Casey Crime Photographer, Lisa. Now, this was an amateur detective series. And uh, Stotts Cotsworth played Casey. He was a... He was a newspaper cameraman who took crime scene photos, and his keen eye for detail served him well at solving the crimes he was assigned to photograph. It was an interesting idea, right? Whenever there was a crime, there was always, uh, you know, photographers taking pictures. Well, he wasn't happy just taking pictures. He wanted to solve the crime, too. And guess what? He did. He did. <laughs> Every week. He did. Every week he solved, uh, he solved the crime. He worked with uh, his gal pal, Ann Williams, and they always hung out at the Blue Note Cafe, which was run by Ethelbert, the bartender. I don't think they drank though, because they were, they were uh, pretty sober throughout the show. They weren't like drinking, um. They had some club soda. No, they weren't doing the <laughs> Roma wines thing right. like, like you do. And this show transitioned to TV with Richard Carlyle, and then later Darren McGavin from Night Stalker. Remember Darren mm-hmm, McGavin? Sure. He was also the dad in um, the Christmas movie, uh, Christmas Story. You know, he was the dad on that. Darren, Darren McGavin? McGavin. Yeah, yeah, Darren McGavin. And he played this role on television, Casey Crime Photographer. But we have a radio broadcast for you now from July 17th, 1947, called The Self-Made Hero. Here's Stotts Cotsworth in a half-hour episode of Casey Crime Photographer. The Anchor Hawking Glass Corporation brings you Crime Photographer. <laughs> See where my niece got engaged last week? Oh, is her name Princess Elizabeth? No, her name's Jane. Then I didn't see it. How do you like that? If you're not royalty, no one knows what happens to you. You don't have to be royalty, Ethelbert. You just gotta be famous. Sure, like Anchor Hawking, the most famous name in Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Tony Marvin. Every week at this time, the Anchor Hawking Glass Corporation of Lancaster, Ohio, and its more than 10,000 employees bring you another adventure of Casey Crime Photographer, ace cameraman who covers the crime news of a great city. Written by Alonzo Dean Cole, 
Our adventure for tonight, Self-Made Hero. Casey, like most news cameramen, has a radio in his automobile that he keeps tuned to police calls. Tonight, as he and reporter Ann Williams drive leisurely toward the express building after covering a routine assignment. Calling car 55. Car 55. Come in, car 55. Car 55, Sergeant Brannon. Brannon. Hey. hey, we know Sergeant Brannon. He's a good pal of mine, Annie. I didn't know they had him on prowl car duty. Frisco. Report of shooting there. Proceed a to shooting? alleyway Jeez, on... Hey, wait a minute. It'll be repeated. Listen. Clark and Frisco. Report of shooting there. No further details. That is all. Oh, oh, more Casey like we're only a few blocks from there. Maybe there's a story. With pictures. Next stop, 12th Street. Between Clark and Briscoe. Oh, usual crowds collected, Casey. And there comes a police car, Annie. We're getting here to jump ahead of Brennan. Get out. Come on. Okay. All right, get back, you people. Get back. This ain't no circus. Well, there's a patrolman over there, The young Casey. fellow beside him must have had something to do with the shooting. Why, well, he's just a tall, lanky boy, I Casey. said get back, everybody. That means you and this lady, mister. And we're press, officers. Oh, you're press, huh? That's right. Uh, well, here comes your sergeant. He knows us. Hello there, Brannon. Oh, hiya, Casey. Hello, Miss Williams. Hello, sergeant. What's the trouble, Johnson? Why, this young fellow here, sergeant, he says someone took a couple of pot shots at him back in that alleyway. I didn't call for assistance, officer, until I'd done everything possible to help myself. Well, let's get inside this cigar store, then it can tell me what happened. Come on, Casey. All right, move back on, there. Move. Let us through, will you? Come on, uh, one side. Now then, let's have your story, bud. What's your name? The name is Wellington Cliffside. Only one F in Cliffside. At present, employed as junior pharmacist at Black's 10th Street Drugstore. Uh-huh. I, uh, see you carry a camera, Mr., uh, uh Casey. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, any time you say, I believe in cooperating with the newspapers. Now, wait a minute. I'm only a cop, but I still want to know what this shooting was about. Oh, certainly, Sergeant. Well, as I've already told Officer, uh, Johnson, during the past month, I became suspicious of two men who've been making telephone calls from the drugstore. Mm-hmm. Well, I made it my business to overhear parts of their conversation. Now, what I heard, Sergeant, convinced me that they are spies. Spies? Hmm, foreign agents. Well, they must have become suspicious of my suspicions. For tonight, they, uh, they acted. Acted? Yes, sir. Uh, a few minutes ago, I was standing there at the corner waiting for a young lady of my, uh, acquaintance, uh, <clears throat> when uh, these two men passed me. The two men have been making the mysterious phone calls, huh? Yes, sir. I saw them go into the dark, deserted alley back of us. I followed them. Now I know they meant to lure me to my death. But when I entered the alley... He says I... they grabbed him, Sergeant. Let so him tell the story, Johnson. While they seized me, Sergeant. One of them slashed at me with a knife. Oh, look, you can see the tears he made in my overcoat. Uh, there in the left sleeve, huh? Mm-hmm. And uh, here in the front. The knife didn't get stuck into you yourself? No, no, I broke away, and they ran with me in hot pursuit. Uh-huh. Then they pulled guns and started shooting. The bullets missed you. I was lucky. I, I chased him to the end of the alley. With them shooting? Well, I considered it my duty, Sergeant. Then what happened? Then I found that they disappeared, probably into one of the buildings on the street. I knew I couldn't find them all by myself, so I yelled. Uh-huh. I should say I shouted for assistance. This policeman came up, and, uh, well, he can tell you the rest. There ain't no rest, Sarge. 
Except I couldn't find no mysterious strangers around like this young fella described. Okay, Johnson. Did this guy show you where the shooting and stabbing took place in that alley? Uh, yes, I did, Sergeant. I'll show you. You again. stay here. Roberts. Yes, sir? You keep Mr. Wellington Rockside Company while I have a look around out here. Come on, Johnson, and uh, show it's me. It's Wellington Cliffside, Sergeant. Okay, thanks. You're welcome. Well, Mr. Casey, I suppose you want to take some pictures of me for your newspaper. Mm, yeah, yeah, I think you're worth a couple of pictures, huh? Now, hold up that overcoat sleeve to show the tear in it while I back off and get you in focus. All right. That's a terribly phony story that he told, Casey. <laughs> Phonies can make good laugh copy, Annie. Kid's an amateur Dick Tracy. Uh, I'll hold out the front of my overcoat, too, Mr. Casey, so you can get a picture of the knife cut there. Yeah, that'll be fine. Okay, Wellington, now hold it. Thank you. Myrna. Look at that girl, Casey. Bobby Sox. Oh, kid. Wellington, they told me how those awful men had tried to kill you. Oh, you're not hurt. Oh, well, I, I got the best of them, Myrna. But you can see what they did to my coat. <gasps> Wellington. Oh, isn't it lucky you had on your old one? Uh, excuse me, Mr. Uh, Cliffside. Is yes? this the young lady you were waiting for? Oh, when, uh... yes, yes, Mr. Casey. Uh, Miss Williams, Mr. Casey, this is uh, Miss Myrna Adams. Uh, Mr. Casey is on a newspaper, Myrna. He's just been taking pictures of me. Oh, how nice. How do you do, Miss Adams? I knew all about those spies Wellington was after, Mr. Casey. I was the only one he told about them. Oh, Wellington, you've been wonderful. If they'd hurt you, I don't know what I'd do. <laughs> oh, gee, Myrna, it was... Uh, Sergeant Brandon's coming back, Casey, and there's a woman with him. Ah, Sergeant. Uh, did you find any clues in the alley that might help us catch those spies? Funny, young fella. Is uh, this the guy, Mrs. Levy? That's him, Sergeant. That long string bean of a kid. What? This what? lady lives in the... Flat building next to the alley. She happened to be looking out of her window when you were cutting holes in your own coat with a penknife. I did. All the windows were dark in the alley. The alley was dark. How I could... got the kind of eyes that see good at night. And why should I burn electricity when I'm only looking out my window? I mind my own business. I wouldn't tell the cops if they hadn't come asking me if I saw something. And she saw you fire those shots. I... I didn't fire any shots. No, but you set off some homemade firecrackers that sounded like shots. Here's pieces of them I found back there. Sergeant, look, I... I... saw you light a match to those firecrackers, young man. Firecrackers? Myrna... There weren't any spies. No one tried to kill you. This was all a bluff. Myrna, look, You, I... you cheater, you cheap rug cutter, you, you firecracker shooter, you faker. You gotta listen to I me. I never want to see you again. Don't go away, Myrna, don't. Yeah, you I... stay here, I'll mister. Go. Will you? I gotta explain to what... You gotta let me explain, Sergeant, please. She's gone. You've got some explaining to do to the judge after I run you in. Hey, Roberts, make out your report on this guy, and we'll take him to the station. Okay, Sarge. Come on, you. All right, all right. Hey, hey, Brandon. Yeah? What, Casey? Don't run that kid in. And why not? Well, couldn't you see he was making a grandstand play for that Bobby Sox gal, and it flopped. Oh, he's already taken one on the chin and hard. Now, look, Casey, we cops have too much trouble with his kind of I know, I know, but do me a favor, will you, Brandon? I'll do one for you sometime. I don't make trades. But I don't get any kick out of pinching goofy kids either. Look, Casey, you can have Wellington Brookside if you only take him away from here. If you don't, well, that mob out there has heard what's happened and they'll, they'll kid him right. I'll take him away. Okay, thanks, Casey. I'll tell him to get in your car. Hey, what's the idea, Casey? I don't like to see a kid KO'd twice in one night, Annie. Look, and when you get to the office, kid, don't write this story, for laughs or otherwise. I'm forgetting the pictures I took. Oh, I get it. Okay. All right, come on. I'm going to drive the kid home, and I'll drop you on the way. 
tomorrow, Annie. Okay. So long, Casey. Goodbye, Wellington. Goodbye, Miss Williams. See you in a little while, Annie. Okay. Hey, uh, kid, is that, uh, that Wellington name, is that on the level? My name is Jack. Jack? That's oh, my name. Okay, Jack. I, I, I don't want to bother you, Mr. Casey. It's nobody. Look, forget that Mr. stuff. Just plain Casey's all I rape. Cigarette? Yeah, thanks. I was too ashamed to open my mouth while Miss Williams was with us. Now I want you to know I... Well, I think it was swell of you to talk the cops into letting me go. Uh, Sergeant Brannon was only looking for an excuse not to run you in. He's a regular guy. I deserve to be run in. I must have been crazy to think I could get away with what I tried to do. Mm. Well, all of us are a little nutty at times, I guess. We get over it, though. Mm. Here's some matches for that cigarette. Huh? Oh, thanks. Pretty kid, Miss Adams. Yeah. Would you like to uh, tell me about her? Often does a guy good to get things off his chest. Yeah. Mr. Casey, I've got a bum back. You got Bum back? I fell down a flight of stairs a couple of years ago, and now I've got to wear a steel corset to keep it in place. Oh. Your bum back and the steel corset have anything to do with... Everything. You see, Myrna... Miss Adams admires guys who do things. You know, like Clark Gable and Gary Cooper in the movies. Oh, I see. Well, I told her about my bum back, but I said it got hurt while I was playing football. I said I'd been the star halfback in high school. Then she found out I've never been a good enough athlete to even get on a girl's softball team. And that I just stumbled over my own feet going downstairs. Since then, she hasn't believed anything I've told her. Except for maybe a minute tonight before the cops called my bluff. She thinks I am, well, just what I am. Big skinny clown who can't do anything regular guys can do. That's out of my own imagination. Hmm. Uh, maybe if somebody talked to uh, uh, Myrna, she might look at things a little differently. Miss Williams might do that. No, Miss Williams is another girl. She couldn't do any good. Oh, you might, though. Me? Yeah, she respects old guys. Uh, old? Well, I don't mean you're so very old, but you must be all of 30. Yeah? Pretty ancient, huh? And you're in the newspaper racket. You must know cops and murderers and... Gee, I bet you've even talked to G-Men and movie stars. Oh, Myrna will think you're almost as important a guy as, as Clark Gable or well, even Humphrey Bogart. Oh, now, Oh, she'll listen to you, Casey. Will you go to her and explain that I'm not... not just a heel? Now, listen, Jack, oh, please, I... please, Casey. Well, okay, fella. Oh, gee. Thanks. <laughs> No use, Mr. Casey. I think it's very fine of you to try to defend Mr. Cliffside, but I never want to hear his name again. I consider him a drip. Oh, now, look, don't be like that, Miss Adams. He's a nice kid, and he's crazy about you. No, Mr. Casey. He and I are, are through forever. Hmm. I'm sorry. Um, well, I... Nothing more I can say, so I'll shove off. Oh, don't rush away. You've talked so much about Mr. Clipside, I haven't heard a thing about you. Me? Uh-huh. 
You've rescued people from burning buildings and captured burglars single-handed, and you're a real hero. Uh, whoever told you that was having a pipe dream. Oh, no, you're just being modest, like I think all men should be. I... Say, look, where did I put my hat, Miss Adams? Oh, come on. Please sit down, Mr. Casey. Uh, no, and I... let's get better acquainted. Uh... There. I've always wanted to meet a man like you. We'll continue in just a moment. Good evening, Dorothy. Hello, Tony. What's our subject tonight? Pie plates. Pie plates? Mm-hmm. Pie plates. Not ordinary pie plates, but a new kind of pie plate. The biggest bargain in years. Why, it's made of glass. Well, this is the Anchor Hawking Program, and this new Fire King oven glass pie plate is something special. For instance... It bakes pie you can be proud of, not once in a while, but every time. Crusts are light, fluffy, and well-browned, and never scorched. And it comes clean almost instantly without scrubbing. Well, you've sold me, Tony. Yes, this big nine-inch Fire King oven glass pie plate with a two-year guarantee against oven breakage is being featured tomorrow and Saturday at five and ten-cent stores and all stores that sell household glass at a special bargain price of only 25 cents, uh, slightly more in distant cities. Look for the Fire King label. Ask for it by name. Not just an oven glass pie plate, but a Fire King oven glass pie plate. A product of Anchor Hawking. The most famous name in glass. You want one, Miss Williams? No, thanks, Ethelbert. Casey, you look like you got trouble. Uh. <laughs> I'll say he has, Ethelbert, in a neat red-headed package. Trimmed with short skirts and a pair of bobby socks, a hero-worship complex, and a, a very unbashful personality. It isn't funny, Ann. <laughs> You're talking about a woman, huh? Oh, not a woman, no. A goofy 17-year-old kid that ought to be spanked. Wish I had the nerve to do it. She's developed a crush on Casey. Phones in at the office several times a day and waits for him on the street so she can gaze at him and sigh. Casey, how did you get yourself into anything like that? You ain't no cradle snatcher. Ethelbert, all I did was to call on her one afternoon last week in order to, to well, to try and square something for somebody else. She isn't the girl that Cliffside kid set off the firecrackers on account of. <laughs> that too. Huh? But Cliffside doesn't know yet that Casey squared things so beautifully. Will you get it, Walter? Yes, I put sure. off telling him that she won't listen to anything that I say in his favor because, well, he's miserable enough as it is. You know, he phones me a couple of times a day, too, up to ask how I'm making out with her. I can't stall him much longer. Oh, I must have been nuts to get myself mixed up in something like this. <laughs> Telephone for you, Mr. Casey. What? Who is it? Uh, uh Mr. Cliffside. I, I, I thought I was about to for my nightly call from him. He's probably been trying to get me at the office. Well, Annie. since you can't help him, you better stop stalling and tell him the truth, Casey. Oh, I, I can't, Annie. I, excuse me. You know, Miss Williams, Casey sure has a talent for getting himself into situations that ain't too easy to get out. Hello, Casey. Yeah, Jack. How are you, fella? Casey, I. I've just learned the truth. Huh? About you and Myrna. What do you mean? 
I met her on the street a while ago. She told me nothing could ever be fixed up between her and me and that she was in love with you. Dave, now listen, I kid. I just well stunned you, Paul. Kidding me into thinking you were my friend and then double-crossing me. Listen to me, I've listened you? to you long enough. I called up now to let you know that what you've done is the last straw. When I leave this phone, I'm going to the river. The river? I don't want to live any longer, Casey. I'm going to end it all. You young dope, where are you? Never mind where I am. Jack, I've got to meet you. I've got to talk to you. You or no one else is ever going to talk to me again. I won't be in your way after tonight, Chasey. You can have Myrna. I don't want Myrna. Jack! Goodbye, Chasey. Jack! Hey, kid! Hey! Operator! 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 This is the operator. Uh, Look, what was the number that just called here? You've been disconnected, sir. I know that. Never mind. Annie. Yes, Casey? Annie, that darn fool kid says he's going to throw himself in the river. What? Well, he sounded. I don't think he's bluffing. we got to stop him, Annie. You know where he is? No, but there's only one place that kid had picked for a suicide. The cliff at Rocky Point. You mean the place they call Lover's Leap? Yes. Oh, but Casey, that's way I out I know of the how up- far it is, Annie. But he wasn't calling from around there because there isn't a public telephone within a mile of the place. He'll have to reach it by bus, but we've got a car. Look, Annie, I may need you to convince him that I'm not trying to steal his murder. Come on. Casey, if that crazy kid has picked another spot on the river to throw himself in... I'm not afraid of that, Annie. What I'm afraid of is we may not get there in time. If he does jump in, I'll be responsible. Now, don't talk like that. It's such a mess of it. No, you have not. It was that little fool of a girl who did that. No, I'd like to wring her neck. There's no use blaming her. No. This is far as we'd better go with the car. I'll run it off the road among the trees here and turn off the lights. He saw it. He'd suspect I was after him. Maybe he'd get away. But if he hasn't gotten here ahead of us well, and already... Well, thinking like that, Casey. Well, get out of the car and come on, Annie. All right. Got to the cliff through these trees. It's pretty bright. It could be seen on the road. Well, this is a horrible, desolate place. Yeah. Annie, we can see the edge of the cliff from here. And there's no one on it. Well, that means he hasn't gotten here yet. They mean he has gotten now, here. Now, will you stop imagining things? Casey, someone's coming through the trees on the other side of the road down there. Where? I see. Someone tall and lanky. It's the kid. He's going toward the edge, Annie. Yeah, he sees you. He's running, too, for the edge. Hey, wait, wait, kid, kid, wait. i got to talk to you. No one's ever going to talk to me again. Jack, you've got to let me talk Run, to you. Casey. He's almost at the edge. Stop, We you? can't reach him in time. Oh, he stumbled. Grab him before he gets up. Jack. He hadn't stumbled. He, he's only a few feet away Let from the go, ledge. Casey. Young fella, for the scare you've given us, I ought to knock your teeth out. Why don't you stop me? What do you care what happens to oh, me? He shouldn't care. Can't you realize that Casey's only interested in Myrna because well, he was trying to help you? And let this sink in. If I weren't sure that he couldn't have any romantic notions about a child like your Myrna, I wouldn't be here with him. You mean that... You mean that you're Casey's real girlfriend, Miss Williams? Well, I... Well, use your own judgment. If you have any. I should have figured that. I... I'm sorry, Casey. Well, okay, kid. Well, now, we're taking you back to town. We'll cut through these woods to the car. All right. I can't stop you from taking me back, but I still don't want to live, Casey. While I was wrong about you, I wasn't wrong about having lost Myrna. She told me herself tonight that she hated me. Jack, there are millions of girls in the world. Must you have just one particular one? I don't want anybody else. Ever. Hmm. Whether you're a true monogamist. Hey. Cars turn into the road. Wait a minute. I wonder if the driver knows it's a dead end at the edge of the cliff. Yeah. Guess he's seen where he was heading. He stopped. Hey, wait. Let's see who this is. 
Hey, Casey. That man getting out. Holding his hands above his head. Yeah. Guy getting out behind him has a gun. Man. That guy with a gun is Blackie Owen. The racketeer? Yes. Don't, Blackie. Give me a chance. Don't, don't. Oh, he shot him. Casey. Be quiet, both of you. Keep back of these trees out of sight. Okay. Blackie Owens is a dead shot and none of us has a gun. He knew we'd seen what we have seen. Our lives wouldn't be worth a nickel. He's getting back in the car. He's driving away. Wait. Don't move from here. He turns off his branch road. Okay. Now let's go over and look at the body. Annie, Blackie Owens is one of the dirtiest gang leaders in this town. The cops have never been able to nail him. What we've just seen will send him to the chair and give us a front-page exclusive. Jack, I could kiss you. We wouldn't have been here if it hadn't been for you. Casey, how can you think of front pages when you've just seen a guy murdered? Get used to things like murder in the newspaper racket. Uh, hmm. Well, there he is. Well, uh, do you uh, recognize him, Casey? I certainly do. Well, that gives me a good reason not to be too unhappy about this shooting. The guy who just had his last ride was Twist Yako. Well, he was Blackie Owens' chief gunman. That's right, Annie. Blackie gave it to him right between the eyes. He... He's dead. As a last year's daisy. Never seen a dead guy before. It's awful. Yeah. Remember that the next time you think of bumping yourself off, kid. Now, come on to the car. Let me get a camera and shoot some pictures of this. There'll be no... What? Uh, Casey. Hello, Blackie. Stick up your hands. All of you. Okay. I wouldn't have come back if I hadn't seen your car parked off the road after I turned the bend. It gave me the idea that there might have been witnesses to what occurred here a few minutes ago. And I don't want witnesses. He's going to kill us. Take it easy, Jack. The young man, unfortunately for all of you, is right. You see, I prepared a very good alibi for this evening that your testimony would kind of spoil. I'll give you all your choice. Where would you like it? Between the eyes, like Yakko? Through the heart or in the stomach? <laughs> you know, I pride myself that I never miss. If it's all the same to you, Blackie, I'd prefer not to be shot. Oh, Casey. Ah. Yeah, you should have known better than to stand so close to a guy you meant to plug. You got his gun, Casey. You got his gun. Yes, okay. I have. Now, Blackie, we'll go to my car and get a camera and take some nice pictures of you. Uh, now, be good. Stick your hands in the air and get going. Okay, but don't you want this... What are you picking up there? Huh? Can't you see? A pair of gloves. The lady dropped them when she stuck up her hands a minute ago. No use leaving them on the road. Yeah, miss. Oh, yeah, they are my gloves. Hey, Casey! He's grabbed Let her go! Grab that gun you took from me, Casey. If you try to shoot it, you'll have to shoot through this dame first. He's holding her in front of him. Let me go! Let me go! I always carry two gats, and you gave me a chance to get the second one, sap. Go. Now drop that rod or I shoot this dame. <laughs> Go on. Drop it. You win, Blackie. Ah, I thought I would. Now get over there with your friends, oh, lady. I want to see you all in line like clay pipes in a shooting gallery. You're going to be first, kid. Me? Yeah. And you get it in the belly. Jack! Someone killed him! Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Guess I'll save you to the last, Casey. Lady, you're next. I'm going to make this shot for sex. Right between the eyes. That's... Those shots! Casey. 
Blackie's fallen. I shot him, Casey. I got him, Miss Williams. Jack, you shot him. The bullet he shot at me hit the steel of the corset I wear for my back. I glanced off. But I pretended I was dead, and I, I fell close to the gun he made you drop, Casey. I... Oh, I, I, I've never shot anyone before. Boy, I'm glad you shot somebody this time, kid. I am a hero. I am a hero. We'll join the crowd at the Blue Note in just a moment. Extra, extra, read all about it. Great new discovery makes beer and ale easy to enjoy. It's a new kind of bottle. A different kind of bottle. It requires no deposit. No fussing with pennies. You don't have to return it. No bother with empty. Just pour out the beer. And throw the bottle away. It's light as a feather. No arm-weary lugging. It's sturdy and compact. Saves space in the icebox. It's easy to open. And safe to drink from. It belongs on the table. It's at home on a picnic. And brother, what flavor? That true brewery flavor. Protected by glass. As only glass can protect it. Yes, the revolutionary new Anchor Glass one-way no-deposit bottle is sweeping America. For flavor that's brewery bright, demand beer in bottles. For safety and convenience, demand your favorite brand in the new Anchor Glass one-way no-deposit bottle. Product of Anchor Hocking. The most famous name in glass. Didn't you and Miss Williams kind of overdo that stuff about Wellington Cliffside in this morning's paper? No guy's ever been that much of a nature's noble man. <laughs> Boy, you'd have thought he was if you'd been there, Ethelbert. Oh, I'm standing in our exact spot. Well, maybe you're right. How did it go down with his girlfriend who wanted to be Casey's girlfriend? Uh, huh? Well, <laughs> she was, you know, she was barely civil to me when I saw her today with Jack. I understand they're engaged, too. Well, as my sister Edna says, quote, the only thing wrong with the younger generation is that it grows older. Unquote. What does that mean? Prime Photographer, starring Stotts Cotsworth as Casey, is brought to you each Thursday by Anchor Hawking Glass Corporation. Makers of Fire King Oven Glass, Anchor Glass Containers, Anchor Caps and Closures, all products of Anchor Hawking, the most famous name in glass. by John Dietz. The original music is by Archie Blyer, and the program features Miss Jan Minor as Anne and John Gibson as Ethelbert. The part of Jack Cliffside was played by Jack Grimes, and Herman Chittison is the Blue Note pianist. This is Tony Marvin saying goodnight for the Anchor Hawking Glass Corporation of Lancaster, Ohio, with offices in all principal cities of the United States and Canada. Thursday night on CBS is the biggest show in town. 
So stay tuned for exciting dramatizations on Reader's Digest Radio Edition, which follows immediately over most of these stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's KC Crime Photographer from July 17, 1947, with Self Made Hero, starring Stotts Cotsworth. That was heard on CBS and sponsored by Anchor Hocking Glass, the most famous name in glass. I have a lot of Anchor Hocking Glass in my cupboard. I know, in your my cupboard. My cupboard is Who not... Who has a cupboard? I have a cupboard. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> Lots of Anchor Hocking Glass. Uh, I'm a big uh, Anchor Hocking guy. I, You're a Hocking guy. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, hope you enjoyed Casey Crime Photographer. Don't forget, folks, we have five classic radio shows that are yours free for being a listener to this program. Just go to 100radioshows.com. Type in the number 100radioshows.com in your browser. Go to 100radioshows.com. And at the top of the website, put your email address in, and we'll send you instantly five classic radio shows free as a thank you. Now, there are hundreds of additional classic radio shows at this site for purchase. If you decide to purchase any of the shows, make sure that you use the promo code RADIO at checkout because you'll save 70% on your order. Great way to build your collection, save a lot of money, 100radioshows.com. All right, it's time for Red Skelton. Now, Red Skelton was on the air a long, long time. He began on radio in 1937, lasted all the way into the 1950s. He had a great career on radio and then made a seamless transition to television. He was more popular on TV. He also did a lot of movies and he was just, you know, he was Red Skelton. He was also a great painter. He used to paint clowns. Yes. You know, and um, that was like a second career for him. After TV and radio and movies, he decided, you know, I'm going to paint clowns and sell these things for tens of thousands of dollars. Not a bad, not a bad gig. Yeah. And he was very successful. He as really, well. really was. Now, early in his run, Avalon Cigarettes. Now, we're not going to play any cigarette commercials, but Avalon Cigarettes sponsored his show. It was called Avalon Time. We have a broadcast for you now on Avalon Time starring Red Skelton from October 18th, 1939. We'll listen to the first half in this hour, then we'll break for news, listen to the second half in our next hour. But here's Avalon Time. Good evening. This is Del King saying welcome to Avalon Time, featuring radio's red-headed ragamuffin, Richard Red Skelton, with Dick Todd, Edna Stilwell, the Poor Puffs, Bud Hercules Vandover, the Avalon Chorus, and Bob Strong and his orchestra. That muffled noise, ladies and gentlemen, is from the closet. There's usually a skeleton in the closet that's a family secret, but we have a skeleton in our closet that's a public nuisance. So here he is now, that ham bone of contention, Red Skelton. Thank you very much. Greetings, people and everybody, and happy birthday, Thackeray. Thackeray? Who's Thackeray? My new writer, Dale. But you're supposed to start the show off by saying something funny. 
Oh, that's what I told Thackeray. <laughs> well, what do you do? Take orders from your writer? Who, me? Take orders from Thackeray? Him tell me what to do? I should say not. Louder, Captain. Uh, who was that, Red? That was Thackeray. I mean, uh, <clears throat> that was Thackeray. Say, he's a tough-looking mug. How yeah. come you hired him? Well, I had to. He applied for the job by sending me threatening scripts. <laughs> I should have found out more about him. Well, has he ever written for radio? Oh, sure. He wrote all the no-talking signs at Radio City. <laughs> Look, here's one of the jokes he wrote for me. A dark-complected lady was standing by a green gate, and a little boy in a red hat, brown shirt, blue pants, rides by on a bicycle. And the dark-complected lady says, My, my, you sure can ride that bicycle. <laughs> Mm. That laugh, one laugh, ladies and gentlemen, was furnished by Thackeray. Mm. See, anybody laughs at his own joke ought to have his head examined by a headhunter. <laughs> hey, that ain't bad, huh? <laughs> I mean, uh, mm. Hello, Red. Oh, hello, Ed. Hey, where have you been? I've been out walking with Dick Todd. And does yeah. he attract attention from the girls? Well, so what? I attract the attention of girls when I walk up the street myself. Yeah, but he does it without whiffling. Say, yeah. <laughs> uh, where'd you go with Dick? We went over to the hospital to see his sister The hospital? Say, maybe you shouldn't have come over here among all these people Maybe she's got something that's contagious I don't think so She has twins Yeah <laughs> Say, that's what our slice of life is about tonight An expect expectant father <laughs> Say, as soon as Dick T Todd gets here, we'll do it Say, where is Todd, anyhow? If you don't show up, I'll sing the song myself. <clears throat> after a fashion. <laughs> that fashion went out after your ancestors came out of the trees and learned to talk. Yeah. So you're here, are you? <laughs> well, uh, <clears throat> if I want to sing a song, I'll sing it. Uh, I'm getting sick of getting pushed around here. Well, it looks like we're going to have an exhibition of a little spunk tonight. Spunk? That ain't the way I wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> sing, Dick. I can't give you anything but love, baby. That's the only thing I'm plenty of, baby. Dream a while, scheme a while, we're sure to find happiness. And I guess all those things you've always pined for. Gee, I'd like to see you looking swell. Baby, diamond bracelets Woolworth doesn't sell, baby Till that lucky day, you know darn well, baby I can't give you anything but love Give you anything but love, baby. That's the only thing I'm plenty of, baby. Dream a while, scheme a while, we're sure to find happiness. Then I guess all those things you've always pined for. Gee, I'd like to see you looking swell, baby. Diamond bracelets, Woolworth doesn't sell, baby. 
till that lucky day. You know darn well, baby, I can't give you anything but love. That was I Can't Give You Anything But Love, Baby, sung by Dick Todd. Darn it. <laughs> and now we come to our short playlist about things that really happen in everyday life. Things that you do and that I do, in fact, everybody does. And tonight's slice of life is about the troubles that young fathers have while waiting for a blessed event. You set the scene, Dell. Okay, the time just before midnight. The place, a hospital somewhere in your hometown. The nurse is played by Edna Stilwell. The expectant father is played by Red Skelton, who has never been so nervous before. In fact, he is really a nervous wreck ever since Winchell told him about it. <clears throat> Quiet! Hospital zone. Dr. Jones wanted in surgery. Dr. Brown wanted in surgery. Dr. Smith wanted in surgery. Dr. Green wanted in surgery. Don't forget the cards, boys. <laughs> Gee, how can they play cards at a time like this? They sleep in the daytime. Yeah. Now listen, Mr. Skelton, I told you, you can't bring all that stuff in this hospital. Now you just take that catcher's glove and that football outside. But gee, I... Yeah, and that motorcycle, too. Ah, oh, gee, my kid's got to have something to play with when he gets here. He can just sit around twiddly thumbs, you know. <laughs> you think you like this baseball bat? Supposing it's a girl. Well, then I'll wait until she starts going to high school before I give her the bat. <laughs> She'll need it then if she's good looking. Now, just keep calm. You look nervous. Oh, I'm not nervous. Gee, I wish I had my knee pads on. <laughs> Has Junior arrived yet? No, uh, but when he does, whom shall I say called? Mr. Skelton, here, I'll just leave my... <laughs> hey, how do I know he can read? Listen, if you can, he can. Yeah. Well, I think I'll wait anyhow. Is the doctor here? No, he's out right now. Oh, <clears throat> got a case, huh? I'll say, and you should see her. Mm. <laughs> Say, this doctor, he's a good doctor, ain't he? Good? You know the five quintuplets? Yeah. They're cute, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> Say, uh, Have you ever been in this hospital before? Yeah, I was born here. My, you've put on weight, haven't you? Yes. I... <laughs> Gee, I'm so excited you get me mixed up, I don't even know what I'm doing. Gosh. Gee whiz. Say, do you think the baby will look like me? What? He wouldn't dare. <laughs> Well, you know, I was the picture of my father. I had my father's eyes, his nose, his hair, and his teeth. Where's your father now? He's home looking for his face. Good evening, nurse. How are you, doctor? Uh, oh, doctor, this is Mr. Skelton. Skelton? Skelton? Oh, yes, I suppose it was sent over by the museum. Yeah. No, I'm Richard Skelton, the expectant father. Oh, yes, yes, yes. You're the fellow who gave me the little uh, pig bank full of pennies for a down payment. Yeah. <laughs> Gee, you know, that sounds funny. $30 down and $5 a month. <laughs> sounds like buying an automobile. <laughs> I am. <laughs> oh. uh, uh, how do you feel? Well, not so good, Doc. I know, I know. I know what you're going through. Mm. And I hope I never have to go through it again. Uh, you know, son, at times I doubt if women realize what we fathers have to go through. Mm. I have three children, you know. Oh, you poor thing. <laughs> That's the first half of Avalon Time, starring Red Skelton, from October 18th, 1939. We'll have the conclusion in our next hour here on the WGN Radio Theater. But first, this break. Lisa, I absolutely love Vistro. I'm so happy 
that you told me about Vistro. Vistro was started by a brother and sister, Mark and Monica, and they grew up in Costa Rica where fresh home-cooked meals with a lot of vegetables and fruits were the daily normal. And they're bringing that healthy outlook to us here via Vistro. And so Vistro is all about what feeds us, our body, our soul, all delicious, organic, healthy, and sustainable from plants, fully prepared anytime we want it. I eat Vistro every single day. I love Vistro, and I love, especially love the oatmeal that they, oh, the oatmeal is good. I love it for breakfast. Well, they have some wonderful meals. They come frozen. All you do is put it in the microwave or the oven. There's no chopping. There's no shopping. There's no cooking. There's no cleanup. Just fresh, healthy meals delivered right to your door. Go to their website. That's vistro.com, V-E-E-S-T-R-O.com. Get 15% off your first order. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear about how much you are loving your Vistro meals just as much as Carl and I do. After the news, it's the conclusion to Avalon Time starring Red Skelton. Then we'll tune into Suspense from 1943 starring Richard Dix, a good episode that you won't want to miss. That's in our next hour coming your way after the news.